On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the stories of parents learning how to raise a child with a rare disease. Our co-hosts, Sanath Kumar Ramesh and Brittany Ratke, parents of rare disease kiddos who have very different situations. Sanath's son Raghav has an ultra-rare disorder known as Setagatian-type spondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. Brittany's daughter Everly has been diagnosed with SET-D5, a mutation that carries with it the potential for a range of complications and even other diagnoses. My name is Kevin Fryert. After 30 years doing research and development at Pfizer, I started Salem Oaks to help patients and caregivers understand the world of biopharmaceutical R&D. Our goal on Raising Rare is to help and lift up our listeners by sharing the unfolding stories of these two families. We also feature the stories of other rare disease families, clinicians, researchers, and industry leaders in the rare disease community. If you'd like to follow these parent stories, please subscribe to Raising Rare on your favorite podcast platform. a lot to talk about on this episode of Raising Rare. We have both Sonneth and Brittany here today to discuss transitions. As we mentioned last time, Brittany will be joining our podcast team as a regular guest and co-host. A little more on that later in the show. Today is about comparing notes to learn from each other and to help our listeners hear a couple of perspectives on the topic of the day, transitions. This idea came up when we learned of Everly's new diagnosis. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Brittany? I can. So Everly has always had reoccurring hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar. And this presented itself in early infancy for her. But when she recently went under that extensive testing that we talked about in the prior episode, they actually diagnosed her with another rare metabolic disorder called glycogen storage disease type 0. And it's caused by a deficiency of the enzyme glycogen in the liver. And basically, that deficiency causes dangerously low blood sugars. And as I've mentioned, that's really been difficult for her to manage. What do you have to do to manage it? So far, we have been doing something similar to people that have diabetes. So you know, treating the low sugars with Smarties or glucose tabs. But the thing with that is the metabolic disorder doesn't respond to that. And so we're going to be getting in a G-tube here next week, and that will allow us to have special IV fluids at home whenever we need them. That sounds like a big transition to go through, um, especially transitioning the type of feeding and also transitioning to a sort of a, a different type of food as well. Have you all considered um, ketogenic diet? Does that do anything here? Yes, actually, that has been probably the biggest research I've done in the last two weeks since we found out. We are fortunate enough to know one other family that has the same exact diagnosis as, as we do, 
And she's been a tremendous resource and that is the diet that's been the most effective for them. So I'm really excited to kind of get the G tube in and also start to establish a new diet with really big hopes <laughs> that it changes stuff for us. New diagnosis can be already very challenging. And on top of that, getting a G tube and on top of that, changing to a ketogenic diet, um, more power to you all. Thank you very much. Lots of change and transition. Yeah, it's a big disruption. When will you finally get the G-tube in? How about how? We get the G-tube in next Tuesday. Oh, good. So we are, yes, we're looking forward to that change. And although it's a fairly big surgery and she has had a G-tube in the past, we sort of know how it works, but it's going to be a different route this time. And, and the way we treat things is going to be different this time. And you have a lot more experience, I guess, uh, having already managed the G-tube, you know exactly how to do the feeding, you know, how to manage rates and dosages and um, how to prepare the formula and stuff like that. So hopefully, you know, from at least your standpoint as a caregiver, uh, it should be straightforward. Uh, but again, nothing is, uh, no, no, two, no two incidents are the same with, with all of these kiddos. It's just unique every single time. I do feel like we are a bit of to be veterans, I like to say. We do know how it works, but as you said, each time is a little bit different, but I hope that the experience that we gained previously will just help us be that more proactive and better with this experience. So Sanath, how old was Raghav when he got his G-tube? I think he was six months old or maybe four or five months. I, I don't know, something in the-, in the Very early. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had an NG tube uh, right after birth, but then that NG tube was um, painful. Um, it would keep coming out all the time. He wouldn't get enough nutrition. He would keep vomiting. It would irritate his throat um, and a whole bunch of things. So it was pretty early that we decided to get the G tube, and that was one of the best decisions we ever made in our life. I can look back at pictures of him being very puny and tired and just unhappy to you know, a month after the G-tube being, looking well-fed, looking energetic, looking happy. Uh, and it just, you know, it just demonstrates how important this device is to him. And so when he got his G-tube, he, he's not going to remember that, you know, he, he was too little. But Everly is four or is she five now? She knows what's going on to some extent. How is she taking that, Brittany? How is she going through this transition? She is so wise behind her year, beyond her years at times. I'm, I'm a bit taken back sometimes. So we actually try to be pretty straightforward with what's coming. Um, given it's a few days away still, I don't want to put too much out there yet and make her anxious about it. So we just let her know that we're going to Mayo. And then the day before we get the tube in, we have a consult and they do a really good job of explaining everything, which sometimes is better coming from the doctor. And then we usually as a family do a recap of what to anticipate the next day and what that's going to look like. So I think she's aware, but not really sure what it's going to look like. But one of the best things that we got probably when she was around one was a teddy bear that actually had a G-tube in it. And I happened to come across that 
like two or three months ago before we even knew we were getting this back in. And so it was really cool to pull that out and just kind of explain and play with it and have brothers see it because I also didn't have our son Maverick at the time either. So it's been great to have that as a resource for learning and just a picture to see too. What a great idea, the teddy bear. Um, I, that's just, you know, innovative in itself. Just, oh yeah, these kids want to see a teddy bear that's like them and you can use it to educate them a bit. We originally were going to talk about like preschool and things like that, but how has this affected your, your preschool decision? What transitions are happening there? Things look a little bit different. If you would have asked us probably a year ago what our answer was going to be. Um, Everly absolutely loves school. She loves to be around her friends and her teachers, which we had the opportunity to do something called ECFE this past year, which is basically where my husband and I get to attend an hour or two class with her, but she was really excited to go to school by herself and get us out of there essentially. And we were already on the fence a little bit about what that would look like. Our daycare is very amazing, very thorough. She does preschool within her daycare. She lives on a farm and we kind of decided like, let's have this be another opportunity to basically have her be a kid a little bit longer. And then with the recent diagnosis and struggle with the hypoglycemia, we were like, absolutely. We're going to let her be medically stable, not have her have a ton of transitions. We just want her to be stabilized for basically a year. And then we can start looking at kindergarten. That decision sounds about right and very familiar uh, <laughs> because at the end of the day, we want our kids to be medically stable and happy before they, they go transitions. And we, we keep saying this to our between ourselves uh, for Raghav, like I, I don't think Raghav is going to um, go to college or do anything fancy that we expect out of all of these kids. I'm very glad if he is able to consistently go to school three hours a day on for five days a week. And that's all I care about. Uh, just give me some break, <laughs> have fun right. at school, and um, and you know don't fall sick, right? That's that's like the basics to start with. And I'm sure as parents we all have different. Um, hopes and aspirations, but getting that basics right obviously helps uh, everything else. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you talk about like medical stability and trying to explain to a team of people that aren't nurses and doctors in the public school, you want to make sure that your knowledge is basically top of the line before you expect them to continue those cares as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Raghav um, is fortunate to go to a medically complex uh, class um, in his in his school. So they have a couple of nurses in the in the school right there. Um, everybody there um, is YouTube trained, CPR trained, and um, is, is generally aware of complications that would that would happen with these kids. Um, so one time. Uh, Raghav had a seizure when he was at school. Uh, it was completely unexpected. He's not had a seizure um, episode like that ever before. Uh, even at home, his seizures were um, very, very, very too few and far between. So we never anticipated that. Uh, but you know what? The school handled that fantastic. Uh, they uh, 
made sure the nurses were around. They did everything right. Uh, and then they called us after, like the whole thing was over and he was stable. Uh, and they asked us to come pick him up. Um, there was another incident where um, Raghav's uh, G-tube came out um, when he mm -hmm. was at school. And we knew about that after he came back home um, because the, the, the nurse said just silently put the G-tube back in. They had a stash of an extra G-tube that we'd given them. Um, so they didn't even break a sweat. Uh, and that's the sort of stability that um, you want uh, to have that peace of mind when, when kids go to school is that they can, school can take care of all of the medical complications that would come out of it. And that means you need to know what those complications are first uh, in and out before uh, you can transition her out. What a relief for you. I can't imagine how that feels for you both. What does that feel like? knowing those things are going yeah. on and that relief for you day in and day out has to be just tremendous. I, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we keep thanking um, the school district in our minds all the time. Uh, if any, anyone from the Santa Clara school district is listening, kudos to you all. Um, it, it's just been phenomenal. Uh, I did not expect uh, a, a public school system to be this savvy and uh, willing to take care of medically complex kids. Uh, the fact that um, there is a one-on-one -on -one aid with him all the time, she picks him up from home and then drops him back at home in the school bus, um, is just incredible. Uh, just, I'm very fortunate uh, to first have moved to California, because obviously this wouldn't happen in Seattle. I don't know what the school systems look like there, but um, we're fortunate. So we'll take as much as we can. As Brittany said, it's a relief for you guys. And you said the relief that you have each day for three hours or three times a week. How has that changed, you know, life for you and Ramya, having that, that time when you can have a little bit of respite each, each week? How have no. you taken advantage of that? <laughs> so if I were to explain this, um, every minute Raghav is at home with us, we are at, we are, we are working at like 200% or 300% of our mental capacity. Um, and that is the level of stress we have every minute. And the moment he steps out um, to school, we drop down to say 0% and we just mm. completely relax, right? And that three hours of respite where we are not physically tense, where we are not mentally tense, um, where nothing wrong could go, go, nothing wrong could happen at home is just bliss. Because I could look at, look around the house and I know for certain nothing is going to go wrong right now. Um, it is just, just an have, incredible feeling. And you have the confidence in the school, which they're, they seem to be, oh, yeah. every time you talk about it, you seem to have more faith in the Santa Clara School District. So um, I think it's amazing. And the fact that you can go from 200% to zero-ish is really important just to, to take your breath, you know, or get your breath back in having to come back and care for him when he comes home. Precisely. I mean, the chronic, the chronic, um, stress and anxiety does not help with our health. And so the three hours of respite um, just breaks that chronicness and, and hopefully makes us more manageable. So uh, Brittany, I guess, I, I guess hopefully as Everly stabilizes a little bit more, um, you, you, you sh hopefully should be able to transition.
Yeah. And I love the way that you explain that because I often want to look at what the stress level looks like. And I try to explain that to people, but I can never put it into words. So you, the way you describe that's so perfect. Any type of respite we can get, I think is so valuable. So, so Sonneth, a minute ago, you mentioned that when you move states, that you felt that California handled the situation differently than, than Washington state. And that you think that was like an added benefit to an unexpected benefit of, of moving to the, the Bay area. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What, what else have you experienced as you move states? I mean, that's a huge decision and transition in itself. Yeah. Uh, we decided to move primarily because Seattle was getting too hard uh, on us emotionally with the uh, depressing weather, um, COVID lockdown, and just like nonstop um, rain and, and, and gloom. Um, we moved to California because we thought we can take Raghav out uh, more often because it's sunny and warm, and that's the only benefit we were hoping to get. Uh, the benefit that we ended up getting, uh, we had no idea what that was already here, uh, was the support from the state. Um, the state offers a very comprehensive program um, for taking care of medically complex disabled kids. Um, there's something called in-home supportive services uh, that pays for uh, parents or caregivers to take care of, um, and also elderly. Uh, they have a pretty good regional center system uh, that provides a lot of therapy services. They have um, something called CTS that provides um, medical equipment and needs. Um, they have uh, this new program now called self-determination that allows you know kids to get services that are not medically necessary, uh, but would actually improve their quality of life. Um, for example, if kids want to go swimming or if they want to learn cooking, um, there's a program that the state would pay for it. Um, and on top of all of that, we talked about the fantastic school system um, that, that they have here. Uh, and obviously all of this was paid for by tax, taxpayers' dollars, which I'm a part of, but I'm, I'm glad I am enjoying uh, the benefits despite um, you know this really challenging situation we have at home. Uh, and that level of support that we're getting from the government um, is uh, an unintended side effects of, of moving to California. There were also other side effects. Uh, another primary one being um, a Stanford hospital system. Um, it's definitely better than, than where we were before. I knew that you were interested in the hospital system. I knew you were going for the sunshine. I just wondered, did you do any research or anything about all those other factors? Or did that just... When you, when you so said, the... hey, can we get them into a school? The only research, actually, it's not even research. The only data point that I had gathered prior to moving to California on this topic was the fact that California offered um, COVID vaccines to parents of uh, medically complex kids before uh, any other state or even the government, or even the federal government started offering them. So I knew the state was doing something better than others um, from <laughs> a healthcare standpoint. That was just the only data point that I had. So no research. I will say when you're talking about all these advantages, it does make me want to move there very quickly. 
I, I think we have some of the same struggles in Minnesota that I think maybe you had prior to moving. And one of them being that there is insurance offered for Everly through the state, but it takes an unreasonably amount of time for it to actually be accepted. So again, you're in that transition period where you, where you're needing vital care. Um, we, we are fortunate to have insurance, but where it would be covered at like a hundred percent through this other coverage, you're kind of in limbo waiting for that to be, you know, put through. And also when you're talking about the hospital and the Stanford care, we have, we're very fortunate to have Mayo right in our backyard, but one of the best clinics for the GSD diagnosis is actually in Cincinnati. Um, so it's kind of this constant, like, are we in the right spot? Should we be looking to live somewhere else? It's kind of like, you never know if you're ever in the right spot. <laughs> uh, you're right. Never know if you're in the right spot. Um, but I think at the end of the day, does it work for your family is the question. Um, like, for example, we, when we were in Seattle, um, this was maybe a month before we moved, uh, or two months, um, Raghav's uh, orthopedics doctor said that he needs a spine surgery immediately, um, that his scoliosis and kyphosis was getting worse and we needed a surgery right away. It came out and struck us out of the blue. Um, we had no idea what was going on. Um, and and the, the suddenness of that news just, you know, dropped our confidence in the doctor. So we were at that point also questioning, well, how do we know if, you know, the Bay Area is the right place? Like, how do we know if there are good doctors um, in the Bay Area as well? So we ended up um, doing, and that's when COVID was also kind of in the prime. So people were offering telehealth. So we ended up doing a telehealth consult with, I think, four or five physicians around the country. So every time we talked to a person, we'd ask them for referrals. So we, we'd force doctors to give referrals to other doctors. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we got a couple of consults from San, UC San Diego. Um, we got one from this clinic in DC. Uh, so we, we'd talk to other parents and get referrals and do virtual visits. And uh, two things happened out of that. One, we knew which doctor we can trust. And Two, we also got cross-confirmation around the correct course of action um, and then found um, a doctor at Stanford that we, that we, that we liked and was doing the right things uh, on our behalf uh, and so decided that this was okay to move. So um, long story short, I think telehealth is always a good, good way um, to get that coverage. And then hopefully her disease will stabilize to a point where you don't need that constant medical attention uh, because at yes. this point Raghav goes to his orthopedics doctor once every six months uh, it's been a year since we went to them so uh, things things stabilize to a point where you don't need that specialty care all the time and if you need them you can find them through telehealth did you find that once COVID happened that telehealth was finally an option because that is one positive I found prior to COVID, you absolutely had to bring her in wherever we went because they really wanted the full scope of what was happening. And then once COVID happened, we actually had the opportunity to finally have telehealth visits and not visit. And I found that to actually be a great positive of COVID hitting everywhere. 
Oh no, absolutely. It was huge. Um, right when COVID started, people were, hospitals were trying to figure out this telehealth thingy. Um, so we ended up doing a couple of consults with this orthopedic surgeon in uh, San Diego. And we also spun up some neurology consults in San Diego and others, others in San Diego because we like, like the clinics there. Um, we went close enough to actually do a drug trial with them. Um, but then that was maybe a few months after COVID and things were getting stabilized. The hospital figured out that they can't have clinicians practice um, or administer to for patients that are not in state. Um, so they uh, essentially stopped, had to stop consulting with us because at that point we were out of state. Um, but anyway, it's long story short, I think hospitals have adapted telehealth now. Um, for us at this point, I would say 90% of our appointments are telehealth. Um, in fact, sometimes we wow. have to specifically ask them for physical appointments, otherwise they default to telehealth. And that's great because honestly, the doctors are largely talking to us. Um, they mm -hmm. don't always have to see the kid unless there is something physical uh, to be looking at. Um, so it saves a ton of time. I think COVID, we've seen several silver linings. One is the telehealth, and particularly in this case, but other silver linings for rare disease folks. You know, everyone wearing masks and taking care of, you know, spreading infections for the immunocompromised, that was huge. They've been wearing masks a long time. You know, when we talked to Nicole Horvath, she said, you know, CF patients have been wearing masks for decades. This sort of made it like kind of, okay, that's good. I also think it highlighted um, the other technology that can come into into being here um, and and being able to not just telehealth, but, but just, you know, doing medicine in a completely different way. Back to the G-tube story. Um, so last time we talked, you guys started like talking about products and things and, and you were talking about some of the hints that you had for for Brittany's sonnet. Do you guys want to cover? Yeah. Sure. It's <laughs> one of the best hacks um, in, in, in the whole tube fitting thing is the pump you get and what you do with it. So um, I'll, Brittany, I'll tell you what we did um, and what worked and finally. So initially we were um, doing uh, this orange pump, uh, infinity orange pump. That pump sucks. It's apparently for um, newborn kiddos. Uh, no one told us that. Um, we ended up using that orange pump for like two years easily um, until we went into the hospital for some heart hospitalization. And the nurse there looked at our pump and was like, why are you still using that newborn pump? And that's when we realized, oh, Jesus, this is the wrong pump. So we exchanged that for the blue pump and that changes everything. Um, the blue pump allows you to uh, set a program with the dose and rate, start and stop at any point in the time in the day, and it'll retain that setting. Uh, it'll pick up from where it left off. Um, because of the blue pump, uh, we were able to go towards a continuous feed. Um, so Raghav now gets a drip of food in his stomach 22 hours a day. Um, we were also doing this really, really stupid thing of turning off the feed in the middle of the night. So right around 2 or 2.30, um, his pump used to go off and we have to turn off his feed and we'll restart the pump in the morning at 6.30 or 7. And so for the first three years, I think we did that. 
Um, that wired this 2.30 time in our brains. Now, even if I'm not sleeping with him, even if the pump is not going on, I wake up between 2.30 and 3.30. <laughs> on days when I am like, either I had too much coffee or I have too much work stress, I wake up and start thinking about work like very vividly. Um, and um, it'll, it'll take me at least half an hour to go get back to sleep. And that's like a very uncomfortable period. So we did, we did really um, odd things initially because we thought we wanted to uh, wean him, wean Raghav off of the tube as app. Um, and that never happened and it'll never happen because he's not capable of eating by mouth. And, you know, we wanted to just a couple of things that if you, if you wanted to take away from this is, is just accept the G-tube as much as they need him. Right. And obviously they don't, yes. they don't need it. They will tell you that they don't need it anymore. Um, and use the blue pump, infinity blue. So ironically, this whole time, and when we talked before, I was like, oh, we did use the same pump because I used to use a kangaroo pump, it's called, and it's also blue. Um, but we liked that one in the past when Everly was a baby because that's what the hospital used. And so because we spent most of our time in the hospital, it was nice to just transition. We'd always have our two, our pump and their pump would be the same. And Oftentimes the nurse wouldn't even come in because we just knew how to handle the pump mm -hmm. and didn't want to waste their time. But it's nice to hear feedback now because mm -hmm. obviously she is older. She's on the move now. And I just remember asking you, like, what the heck pump should we use now? I feel like so out of touch here. I thought I was a veteran, but what should we be using? I definitely, that's what I already have a list of notes to our DME on which pump we need to have for ease. <laughs> yeah, the infinity pump works. Uh, and actually, another hack, uh, we have two pumps now. Uh, so what we do is we program, a, we, we make sure the transitions are smooth between feeds and between days. Um, and also you've got to charge the pump because this pump runs all the day, all, all through the day. You can't charge anywhere in between, so we charge during the night. But then the next day, we swap out with a different bag. So we sort of prepare that bag before even he wakes up um, for the next day's feeding, and that's possible only because we have two pumps. And that was also necessary when we were having two types of food. So we used to have formula and his blended food, and we were transitioning him out. And so the two pumps came in very handy, so we could prepare both at the same time. So. Uh, we got lucky. I don't know how our insurance paid for two pumps, but we ended up owning one of the pump for some reason. I don't remember the details. We, that same thing happened to us with, we have, I think two kangaroo pumps still. So it'd be nice to have some sort of backup. Um, I think we rented it past the time or something, how the DME works, but I love that tip about charging it and having two because the time that you travel or, you know, go to grandma's or something is when the pump usually goes out or something happens. <laughs> Maybe you've just solved the problem for electric vehicles too. We just need two cars two in cars. our garage, to, <laughs> one charging well, you, and one to drive. And, <laughs> and, and two cell phones. <laughs> yes. And two cell phones. And we just have to double up on everything. You know, we're, you we're helping the technology market grow here. Um <laughs> It's, to me, not having had to deal with it 
G2 before and, and, and only having a vague, you know, idea of what that'd be like. It's so interesting listening to you talk about it. Just like people talk about, oh, well, we got our pizza over there. You know, that pizza is better than the other pizza. You guys are talking about it just like, hey, this is, this is our life and, and G-tubes are in it. And I hope that that, you know, translates to the kids too, that they're just like, yeah, I got a G-tube. You don't. So, um, I, I, I mean, I could keep talking about G-tubes and, and all the hacks we do. Um, <laughs> but Brittany, one more, one last tech hack that I would leave with you is, um, insurance wouldn't pay for extra pumps. I think they would only pay for one bag a day. Uh, but we ended okay. up purchasing like another 30 bags um, or even 50, I think. Um, there's there's vendors online that you can purchase more of these bags. Um, and also get the bigger bag if you can, because it holds more stuff in it. So that's like 500 ml bag. And again, the, the bigger one is also blue. Um, so we ended up doing that, which saved a lot of uh, hassle because sometimes um, mm -hmm. we would, the, the, the insurance refill will not come on time. Uh, insurance will have some issues. The home care agency would um, not deliver. Um, if you were in the hospital or busy, we, we would forget to order, reorder, order these bags. So you never want to run out of them. So we have, we have a stash of like, like an extra month of bags, feeding bags. And then we used to have a, a stash of three extra months of um, food. Um, that we burned through, but we are planning on at least having one extra month of food as well. So you basically want to have a lot of um, cushion when it comes to feeding. I love that. My list is getting so long. <laughs> I'm so fortunate. And as you said, I feel like we could talk about Dexcom or G-tubes all day long. <laughs> and people who get it, it feels good. <laughs> exactly. That's what we're about here, and that's what we're we're transitioning ourselves into. Um, so for the last couple of years, it's been Jonathan and I talking, and we'll have a guest in or out. And by bringing Brittany in, we can have these other discussions. Um, and that's what we're we're hoping to do, and and really, really enliven the show here. So. I want to know what do you guys think the possibility is? Are you know having three of us on here now, and what changes? I guess I guess I guess it's more of of more perspectives, um, right? It's just not um, you and me, Kevin, talking in a in a soapbox about uh, uh, life, drug development, and and, and and you know rare disease kids. Uh, there are just a lot of things that we we couldn't cover because of who Raghav is and what he can do and what he cannot do. For example, Brittany has a completely different set of capabilities, and obviously that brings in a set of challenges. And that's that's a huge perspective that we want to have um, as we talk about rare diseases and in general raising rare. Uh, and that's a perspective that both Brittany and Everly would bring um, to the world. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited about that. And to piggyback off that, I always liked this idea of like, there's no hierarchy of suffering. Like we're all in this rare disease community. And like you said, there's different capabilities for each of our families and everything looks a little bit different. But at the end of the day, 
our life is so much alike and it's so interesting like like today we're kind of off the cuff discussing and we could probably go on for hours so I love that point of view and then I also like that I can bring to the table that we have some other group of friends and and family that also have rare disease and bring awareness to that and share their stories and have that same platform for them to feel empowered and supported at the same time. Yeah, that's actually huge. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest benefits that happened uh, after we started raising rare after Raghav's diagnosis was I didn't have to explain to my friends and family what we were going through. Um, and I talked to them, they'd be like, okay, I, I know this is happening to you already. So how things are, how are things, right? Uh, it, it, both from sort of the emotional standpoint and also from just, just the activities that are happening at home, uh, people would understand in depth. Uh, and that is the kind of depth that I cannot um, talk to, to, to a single person or I cannot explain every single person that I know of. But the podcast helped do that. So hopefully having Brittany would expand that circle and um, both our friends' network and family network would understand what it is to to raise these kids. Couldn't have said it better myself. And I think that what you said, Brittany, about the the commonality. You know, it's a. I know with Rare New England, we have a couple of support groups. We have one for patients, and Rare New England is 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 not disease specific. It's just oh, patients with rare disease come and do this. We have like one person who shows up all the time, so it's not much of a group. When we say caregiver group, in our caregiver group, and we say caregivers for people with rare disease, that one's full. You know, there's always people there because the caregiver, the parent, the family, the experience is the same. The diseases may differ, and the the technical details, you know, whether there's a G-tube or some other accommodation taking place, wheelchairs or whatever, but... The experience of the parents and caregivers is so common. Um, and I think it's just a fantastic way to, to get it out there. And I love this story you just told, Sonnet, that your friends are listening. And therefore, they're not asking the questions that they would always ask. That's just great. I mean, that's an unforeseen benefit of this. Precisely. It's a... It, it actually went beyond my friends network. My colleagues at work used to listen to the podcast um, mm. and talk about uh, during a one-on-one that talk about, you know, what happened to, to Raghav and, and all the other things. Um, it made me feel closer. Actually, it does it did made both of us feel closer to each other um, because we knew each other more through the podcast. Um, so it's a, it's a fantastic medium of expression and I'm looking forward to listening more to Brittany's story and hopefully my network listening to Brittany's story and her network listening to my story. Uh, it's going to be huge to raise that awareness. I love how you touched on the your colleagues because I think we often have a persona when we're at work and hold ourselves together. So I also like this idea of like, this is what we're actually managing at the same time that we are working and parenting and all these behind the scenes things that you probably wouldn't normally have on a surface level conversation with your colleagues or a, you know, a neighbor, things like that. So that awareness is just so important. That's 
powerful. I think it's really powerful the way you guys are realizing those the benefits of, of telling your story in an extended way like this and of, of just opening up. Um, and I think that for the benefits for, for us, I think it it actually will allow us to, you know, work at a different pace and, and, and how often we have to worry about getting an episode out. I think that that's kind of minor. Um, but I do think it, it'll give a different flavor to listeners depending on which of us is on the on the line each time. Um, we're expecting to do this kind of comparing notes thing, you know, probably quite often. Um, but we're also going to have guests and we're going to have, you know, discussions about what's going on. So hopefully a little more variety in what Raising Rare is doing will be will be great for our listeners. Anything you guys want to say before I close? Welcome to the team, Brittany. Thank you so much. Like I said, this is a a dream come true for me. So I'm so fortunate to be on this ride with you guys. Well, thank you for being here, both of you. Um, I just always enjoy these these sessions. I, I walk away feeling much better than I did a couple hours ago. Um, it's just it's nice to talk to friends who someday I'll meet. Um, so for our listeners, you know, if you like this comparing notes format, let us know. You can follow us, you can put it in a review, or you can post it on your favorite social media, you know, using hashtag Raising Rare. And we'd love to see you uh, chatting us up out there in the, in the online world. Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4.org on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. The SET D5 community is currently getting organized. We will let you know where you can donate soon. You can continue to follow Raghav and Everly stories next time on Raising Rare.